Seeing that the monarch had come to his hermitage and was bowing down before him, the sage greeted him with benediction and received him with due honor. So that means that Atmavan, whatever I'm thinking, uh, 
Monday teach you about, that is like everyone else is thinking that also. And so in other words, if you have a rascal, and he is able to see that, yes, I'm a rascal, then he thinks that also everyone else is a rascal like me. Atmavan Manjateja God. Because he's a rascal, then he thinks, oh yes, everyone else is also a rascal just like me. So therefore, there's no one qualified at all to be king. Um, everyone is a, is a rat tank, just like me. Atmavan Manjateja God. So if one has ill motivations uh, within his heart, then he naturally thinks that everyone else is just like that also. Because he thinks, whatever I think, that's what everyone else is thinking. So in this way, unqualified, localized people naturally assume um, that everyone else is localized and ill-motivated. That there is no one qualified. So you have a whole um, worldwide human society, community of people who are unqualified and they're thinking that everyone else is unqualified. And for the most part, that may be true, actually, because most of the people are motivated, um, not by higher principles of, of service to God and, and upholding religious principles. Like Maharaj Yudhishthira, for example, he was the emblem of, of upholding religious principles. Therefore, he was one of his names is Dharmaraj. Dharmaraj. So, he's not only the king, but he's the king who upholds religious principles. And he was very um, stringent in his observance of religious principles, especially honesty. Uh, that, and he also was uh, very much interested in ruling his, his kingdom, which at that time was the emperor of the world, according to those religious principles and uh, enforcing and uh, propagating those religious principles. So that is a great king, that is a great monarch. So because in Kali Yuga, you have all these Kalo Shriva Sambhava, uh, unqualified people, you know, then uh, gradually monarchy became abolished. Uh, we see this in Western history. And, uh, a different system of government was established. A government by the people and for the people, which is called democracy. It was an idea that was propagated by the Greeks originally. Uh, one person, one vote, like that. Uh, but even that has become perverted. Uh, for example, the last presidential election, um, the current sitting president actually lost the popular vote because they had a 50 system. The electoral college, in which it's possible for him, for the person running for office, to get the number of electoral votes that does not exactly perfectly represent the popular vote. So more people voted for the opposing candidate. Yeah, and that happened also in uh, the election of George W. Bush. He won the election based on the electoral college and lost the popular vote. So um, some people complain and object that this is not real. One person, one vote democracy. It's a tricky system in which there's political manipulation. And then in that previous election, they actually went to the Supreme Court and they essentially handed the victory in the election to their favorite candidate, uh, according to the majority of 
court. So this is democracy. Uh, Prabhupada calls the demon crazy. So you have all these demons, and they're all crazy. So what is the result? It's more uh, crazy demoniac activities. So in other words, if you have a bunch of dogs, then they will elect amongst themselves who? The biggest dog. And that will be their leader, the biggest dog. Not the most qualified person uh, in terms of sanity and good leadership qualities and um, trying to uh, do things fairly according to even uh, mundane morality, mundane principles. That will not take place. So therefore, in the, in the Vedic system, you had this um, monarchy where the kings were uh, qualified and trained under the guidance of the brahmanas. And it was by the guidance of the brahmanas that um, they carried, they were focused on carrying out religious principles and doing everything honorably and justly according to the religious principles that are found in the Vedas. So that's, we think, that, we think that's very nice and it's very idealistic, but practically speaking, in this age, it's uh, pretty much impossible. There was one when the uh, disciples of Bhakti Siddhartha Saraswati Thakur were preaching um, in England in the 1930s. He sent a party of devotees there to, to preach and establish Krishna consciousness, although they were not exactly successful. But later on, the um, where those sannyasis were not able to preach effectively, we see the Prabhupada's Grihasta disciples went to London and effectively spread Krishna consciousness. And the Krishna consciousness movement just celebrated uh, 50 years in England, beginning in 1969. Um, and the, the movement had been very successful there. So where the sannyasi uh, disciples of Siddhartha Saraswati Thakur were not successful, the Grihasta disciples of Srila Prabhupada were. It's a great story how they uh, met the Beatles and became friends with George and stayed at the estate of John Lennon. And it was a pretty fantastical uh, uh, journey they had. And originally it was Shama Sundar's idea to go to England and meet the Beatles and influence them towards Christian consciousness and then through them spread Christian consciousness. And it actually came to pass like that. That was his inspiration. And that's exactly what happened. So, um, the idea is, so that the Marquis de Zeppelin, he was asking the disciples of Bhakti Siddhartha Saraswati, so, <coughs> can you make me into a Brahmana? He was asking them, because he had some idea of what is a Brahmana. We know from Bhagavad Gita what is a Brahmana. What is a Brahmana? Um, it's someone who's clean, he's truthful, possesses the qualities of mercy. So, um, this one of the lords, British lord, a titled lord, a landed lord, you can make me into a Brahmana. Oh, yes, they told him, we can make you into a Brahmana. You simply have to follow these four principles no meat eating, no intoxication, no illicit sex, and no gambling. And then you can also become a Brahmana. And when he heard the four regular principles, Lord Zetna, he snorted. He said, impossible! Impossible! <laughs> because he's, after all, a 
the British Lord, who are used to living the life of sense gratification, for him to become Krishna conscious was impossible. <laughs> because he had he could not even consider following the regular principles. So Prahlad Maharaj says like this, Matirya Krishna Padataksotoma, Mitomi Pandita Griyanzatana, Adanta Gobir Vishatan Tamishram, Punatpanas Charvika Charanana. For one who has griha brata, who has taken a vow to enjoy this material world, material Krishna Padataksotoma, he will never be able to think of Krishna. He will not be able to become Krishna. Because he has uh, given his life to Adantagobir, uh, following the path of sense gratification. And what is what is the result of that path of sense gratification? Adantagobir Vishatamtamishram. There are different hells called Tama and Andatamishra. So these these hells uh, one simply goes to hell by um, uh, accepting this vow of sense gratification and following the course dictated by the senses. Puna, punas, charvita charvananam. Puna means again. Puna, puna, again and again. Charvita charvananam. He's chewing sense gratification, but charvita charvananam, it's already been chewed. So he's trying to enjoy the senses, which he's already done, you can say he, but we, in millions of lifetimes, billions of lifetimes, we've tried, we've tried, we've tried, we've gone, we've done again and again, pull up, pull up, charvita charvanana, trying to squeeze out some happiness, some pleasure through the process of sense gratification, uh, even though it's, it's already been done by us, even though we've already chewed that, and we're chewing again, and the example, of course, given is the sugar cane. The sugar cane is a stalk. And then you chew on it, there's some sweetness, some taste. But once you've already chewed the sugar cane, and then there's no more juice or sweetness left, then you throw it down. You throw it away. It's just simply left on the ground. It's useless. And someone else comes along like, Oh, sugar cane! You know? It's all chewed up and gnarled and, you know, gross and grungy. Yes, very good, let me enjoy. So Srila Prabhupada compares this to uh, this process also to the crows. The Western people are, have such a life and standard of sense gratification, and then the people come from India, and they think, oh, yes, this is very nice. So it's like they're new crows. The old crows, like, been there, done that. And the new crows are all enthusiastic to do the same thing. Puna puna starvita charvanana. So, to buy a sumtirtam, the place where everyone is gathered in order to try and repeatedly chew that which has already been chewed, charvita charvanana. To buy a sumtirta. It's like a tirta, a holy place, a place of pilgrimage, but to buy a for the crows. The Prabhupada said that if there's any happiness in this world, it is in America. Because you have such nice arrangements for sense gratification. So therefore everyone thinks, yes, let me come here by hook or by crook, by green card or by uh, 
walking across the river, or walking, climbing the fence, whatever, let me get there. And then I can enjoy it, because wherever I'm coming from, everything's so miserable. But the miserable conditions are everywhere. Abrahma, Bhuvana, Loka, Punarvitana, Arjuna, Mamabhiti, Pakumpiya, Punarjama, Vidyate. Krishna certifies in the Bhagavad Gita that Abrahma, Bhuvana, Loka, that no matter what planet you go to, even the planet of Lord Brahma, Abrahma, Bhuvana, Loka, Punarvitana, Arjuna, Everywhere it's the same thing. Uh, repeated birth and death and misery. For all the planets are places of repeated birth and death. And everyone is experiencing miserable conditions. So the conditioned soul <clears throat> you would like to not be subject to the material conditions, which means misery and defeat. Bhakti uh, Thakur says that this, this life is like uh, it, it's very temporary, it's very short. And the whole time, even though it's temporary, that short time, it's filled with misery. So why don't you give up this process of sense gratification and take to the process given by Lord Chaitanya, which is to chant the holy name. And then that way, give up your misery. Otherwise, there's no, uh, there's no relief from the, from the misery. There's no other way to get out of it. Therefore, that verse is given. That the holy name of the Lord, this is the path, this is the way, uh, this is the answer. This is the only way you can get any relief from your suffering condition. Kalauna stevan stevan stevan. Because Kali Yuga is no good, it's no good, it's no good. Nasteven, Nasteven, Nasteven. And Prabhupada also says that because it's repeated three times like that, means Nasteva, not by karma, Nasteva, not by jnana, Nasteva, not by yoga. Can one get actual freedom and relief? If you want to achieve the goal, then Hare Krishna, chanting Hare Krishna, that is the answer. So that is the formula that Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is giving us to chant the holy name. And Bhakti Vinod Thakur is imploring that don't you see that your life is short and it's temporary and it's full of misery? Don't you see this? Why do you waste your time just decorating your body and dressing nicely and trying to eat as much nice food as you can. And why, why are you wasting your human form of life in this way? The Lord Chaitanya is coming and giving the solution. It's Harinam. So please take to that, my dear sir, my dear madam, and perfect your life. He's imploring us. Open your eyes. Don't turn your face back to the darkness. But go towards the light that Lord Chaitanya is giving that light. That light is also the Srimad Bhagavatam. Purar Narko Dinomita. Krishna Swa Damo Bhagavatam. Krishna Swa Sway. Krishna Sway Damo Bhagavatam. Dhamma Bhagavatam. That 
This Bhagavad Purana is brilliant like the sun. It is risen like the sun after the departure of Lord Krishna. It is giving light to all the people in this current dark age. And so persons who have lost their vision due to the dense darkness of ignorance shall get light from this Bhagavad Purana, which is brilliant like the sun. This is the, the we're being implored by the Vedas, we're being implored by Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uh, we're being beseeched. Uh, please take to this Krishna consciousness movement, chant the holy name. And that way you will become happy and you will achieve perfection. And then at the end of this life. Whenever this body expires, you can go back home, back to God. So, <clears throat> here's why in Guru Ramana, Nideva, a god amongst men, the monarch, uh, he's coming to the hermitage of the sadhu, part of a muni, because he's trained up in Krishna consciousness, and he sees the sadhu, what does he do? He offers his obeisances. Now he's the monarch, the emperor of the world. He doesn't have to offer obeisances to anybody. He's, he's the top man. Everyone's offering obeisances to him. Jai Maharaj, Jai King. Now he serves you. Uh, so he has an extraordinary position. Yet he sees the sadhu, the brahmana, the devotee, and he offers his obeisances to him. So, Karlamuni sees, here comes the emperor, and he's offering obeisances. So he greets him with benediction. He offers his blessings. Oh, uh, may you live long, my dear king. Thank you for coming. And, um, and then he, he, gives him, he, he gives him respect and honor. He says he received him with due honor. The Sanskrit word here is Anurupaya. Pratinandya, he greets him, Anurupaya, befitting the king's position. So Anu means following, and Rupa means form or position. So his position is the king, Anurupaya. So just according to his position as the king, he's giving him great honor. He's giving him his benedictions, which is what Asadu does to the, to the members of the royal family, to the king, and to everyone, gives benedictions. And then he gives him all respect, all honor. And it's very interesting that although he's the emperor of the world, he's approaching the sadhu who's living, he's in the cottage of dried leaves. So that means a thatched hut. He's living in a simple thatched hut. If you've ever been to India, like I, I recall going to Mayapur, there used to be many thatched huts in the neighboring area. When you go on Parikrama, you would see villages of thatched huts. Um, I don't know if that's still the case now. It's been, yeah, okay. Several decades since I've been to my work. Let's go across the river and see him. Yeah. Bhakti Thakur's house is there across the river, but it's not a bad house. <clears throat> so that's a very simple dwelling. Prabhupada says any person, of course he's speaking basically of tropical countries, can erect a, a dwelling with four bamboo posts and some cross uh, members of bamboo and then the thatched roof so when it rains it rain runs off of the leaves, off the roof. That's the, that's the system. And it doesn't, you know, just banana leaves, basically. Uh, so, 
anyone can build that because you live in the village and the jungle and all those materials are available. That may not be the case here in Tucson, Arizona, so you have to build a house out of stucco or brick or one of so many things to protect one from the elements. But it's interesting, this relationship of the emperor and the Brahmana, this brings to mind um, <coughs> the history of Chanakya Pandit, uh, also known as Kutila. And he was uh, a very highly intelligent Brahmana. And he was offered the position of prime minister uh, by Maharaj Chandragupta, the Maori king. And, um, but he refused to stay in the palace or live in the royal apartments. He stayed outside the city in the forest in a thatched hut, even though he was given uh, the power of prime minister. And it was the uh, through the efforts of Chandikya Pandit that Alexander the Great was driven out of India by Maharaj Chandragupta because he was so intelligent, and, and everywhere Alexander the Great went, this is around 300 BC, 320 BC or so, so maybe some 2,440 years ago, so almost 2,500 years ago, <coughs> Alexander and his armies <coughs> from Macedonia, they had gone across the Aegean into and conquered Persia, which is modern-day Iran, and uh, Afghanistan, which at that time was called Bactria, and India, the part of India where Pakistan is now, that was also part of India originally. Uh, actually, Afghanistan was a province of India as well. And everywhere they went, they conquered and um, took over the place. But they could not conquer Maharaj Chandragupta, who had as his uh, advisor, Chandragupta, he outsmarted him. And in, in terms of military tactics, and they drove them away. It was also, in, in some histories I've seen, it's described how when the, uh, the, the, the army of Alexander, and these are marching soldiers with you know, spears and swords and shields, when they tried to uh, attack India, they encountered something they had never seen before. There was an army with uh, warriors mounted on elephants, and these were maddened elephants with big tusks. And the elephants are, are very fired up to kill the enemy. So imagine how terror-stricken you become if you've never even seen an elephant. And these are big elephants, not like little elephants. These are big, giant elephants charging with their horns and attacking with mounted warriors with bows and arrows and swords throwing weapons. And they. They could not handle this situation. They were driven away. So this is not like something they'll teach you in ancient history when you go to school. Certainly they didn't teach me that in high school. But these are the actual histories and the accounts are there. So, Chandra um, Pandit, being the advisor to Chandragupta, they were able to defeat Alexander the Great and they were no one else could defeat Alexander. It was the only time he suffered defeat on all his uh, journeys through the ancient world. Uh, <clears throat> such is the power of uh, uh, having a king that is 
guided by intelligent Brahmanas. Now, Chanakya is not an ordinary intelligent Brahmana, uh, but he's a vastly intelligent Brahmana, so much so that even today his writings are still revered by uh, politicians uh, and, and people involved in the political arena in India, the writings and the sayings of Chanakya Pandit. So one of the things Chanakya said um, is that one should not live too close to the king or too far from the king. And one should not live too close to the river or too far from the river. And one should not be too close to the spiritual master or too far from the spiritual master. Now why, why is that? Because if one is too close to the king, he may commit some offense, and the king, he's the one who meters out justice. So he may punish one by throwing one into the dungeon, or cutting off one's head. So if you get too close to the king, you may offend the king, and then in his anger, he may take your life, and he has the right to do that, because he is, the king is the absolute ruler, and the absolute uh, dispenser of justice. And but if you're too far from the king, then you don't have the shelter of the protection of the king and his army and his government. So the king maintains law and order, and he has his military. And he, there are other benefits by being in the kingdom. Uh, social welfare, you know, food, water, all these different things. Um, you know, in the kingdom they have wells and public streets, and they have houses for distribution of uh, food and charity to the poor. All these arrangements are there that's in the kingdom. So if you're too far from the kingdom, you don't have the shelter and the protection. So you live too far away, then you may be subject to exploitation by dacoits or bandits or other cruel and bad men, of which there's no shortage in the world, especially outside the shelter of the law and order of the kingdom. <clears throat> so one has to be close, but not too close, and not too far. And one has to be in the sweet spot. So, the river, same thing. If you're too close to the river, when the river floods, then um, everything you have can be destroyed, and you may even lose your life in that flooding. But if you're too far from the river, then you don't get the benefit of the water. Because in human society, everyone needs water. You have to have water to live. And also, um, the river floods and provides uh, water for agricultural purposes, so food is grown. So if you're too far from the river, there's a drought and there's no way to grow food, so you can't live nicely. So in this way, one should not be too close to the river and no one should not be too far away. And the same thing, same principle, is there with the spiritual master. One should not be too familiar or too close to the spiritual master, because if one does, one thinks him that one will become familiar and you know, the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. And then one will simply think that the spiritual master is an ordinary man. He's an ordinary man, just like me. But this, this is a very dangerous mentality to have. Even some devotees who were Srila Prabhupada's servants, they began to see Prabhupada as an ordinary man and became critical of him. And then they fell down and lost their position in Krishna consciousness. Because of that offensive mentality. There's one verse that explains like that. Um, a couple of verses. One of them is Acharya Mam Vijayam, Namamani Takarajit, Namarvi Bhuja Sudyeta, 
Sarvadevanayamudu. One should not disrespect the Acharya or envy him, considering him an ordinary man, because he is the representative of all. Sarvadevanayamudu, he is the representative of all the demigods. Uh, so one should offer him respect and one shouldn't just simply be envious, thinking that he is just an ordinary man. Uh, this is a qualified uh, Acharya, a qualified spiritual master, not an ordinary man pretending to be a spiritual master, of course. There's a distinction beneath so-called sadhus. When Prabhupada was a young man, every day his father was inviting different sadhus at lunchtime, come take prasadam. And Prabhupada, he saw, there's so many sadhus in there, these guys are all a bunch of fakes. <coughs> They're not real sadhus. They're rascals. He knew the one man in the neighborhood, he was an ordinary grihasta, but for his livelihood, he would go out, he would put on in the morning a sinyas cloth, saffron cloth, and go out and beg because people were naturally inclined to give charity to a sadhu. He was engaged in spiritual life. Let me help him, let me give him some support. That is the culture, the natural inclination of the pious Vyasas. So he's going out, putting on the saffron cloth, begging, taking charity people from people. Then he goes home and he's ordinary Babu, sitting in his house with his wife and children, and not at all engaged in spiritual life. So probably there's so many fake sadhus like this. So his friend, Narendra Mullet, we heard this in Yogana um, Maharaj's. One of the offerings we just read in the Yasa Puja book. Um, yeah, Lokanath Maharaj, who we're currently reading. Um, Prabhupada's friend, Narendraf Mulek, said there was one sadhu in Alta Dunga. Um, he's a very nice sadhu. He's a uh, follower of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's giving Harikata. Please come visit him with me. I'm going to go see him. And I'll introduce you, you can, you can meet this great sadhu. Prabhupada said, there are so many sadhus, I've seen so many sadhus growing up in my life. My father used to invite so many sadhus to lunch. They're all a bunch of fakes. And he was like, no, no, you have to come, this is a real sadhu. Abai, you come, you must come, you must see, this is something wonderful. Prabhupada was like, no, 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 and his friend was grabbing by the arm, come on, you must, you have to come. He was practically trying to drag him. So Prabhupada was like, okay, okay. I'll go see this sadhu. And then he met Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And he realized this is the real thing. This is a very wonderful sadhu. Of course, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, unprecedented Krishna conscious personality, Radio Vishnu. So Prabhupada was convinced, oh yes, this is the real thing. This is a real saintly person. And I can see that Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement is in good hands with this actual bona fide sadhu. He recognized. So, um, there's another verse, ah, I can't quite remember it now, that explains, oh yeah, Arche Vishnu Shivadir Guru Shivadir Vaishnava Jati Bhutir. That Arche Vishnu Shivadir, Shiva means stone, Arche Vishnu, the, the deity form of the Lord, one should not think that this is simply some stone sculpture only. It is not God, it is just a piece of stone. Arche Vishnu Shivadir. Guru Shu, Nara one should not think, Matir, think that Guru Shu, Nara, that the Guru, the spiritual master, the bona fide sadhu, he's just an ordinary man. Why should I have a Jati here? And one should not think that a devotee of the Lord, Jati means birth, is uh, 
it is to be seen and judged according to his his birth and his position in the material world. Vaishnava Jati Buddhiya, Buddhi means with the intelligence. So the purport of that verse is that one who thinks in this way, that the deity is simply stone, uh, that uh, the guru is just a regular guy like me, and the Vaishnava, he's just a, you know, whatever he is, born a sugar family or molecular family, he's no good. A person who thinks like this uh, is uh, a, a, becomes a resident of hell by that offensive mentality, and it's very destructive for his spiritual life. So that is there in the Shastra. So we see here the Karnava Muni. He was going to speak with a Swami Bhuvamadu, and then they're going to talk about uh, you know, his purpose in bringing his daughter. Or, uh, give me a few verses, he's going to talk to him, and he's going to ask him, okay, you've come here, thank you very much now, what's, what's really going on? <laughs> well, you must have come here for some reason, please enlighten me. So we'll stop here. Questions, comments? Don't ever want to speak who wants. <coughs> yes. Who's receiving and who in this verse? Kardamuni sitting in his ashram. And Swayamuva Manu, if you recall, the last few days, he's he's out on tour in his chariot with his wife and his daughter. And he's looking to find a suitable husband for Devahuti, his daughter. And we'll see coming up, Cardinal's going to mention how the kings, they go out and tour the kingdom and they kill any miscreants. See, I, if I wanted to, I could have skipped this verse because it only has a two-sided purport. And the next verse, which has no purport, and gone on to the verse after that, which has a really nice purport about the, the kings uh, killing the demons, uh, uh, going out and meeting out justice. But anyway, that's that would be. For the next person tomorrow, that verse. <clears throat> so that is the narrative. That's what's happening. Manus is going out of his chariot, touring the world. And he's got Devakuti with him, as well as his wife and Rupa. And they're looking for a first-class husband for their very qualified and intelligent uh, daughter. Who's also, like Cardinal Muni, she's advanced in yoga practice. Any other question, comment, realization? Okay, I could have gone on more, but I have to take the kids to the dentist this morning. <laughs> so these things are going on. All right, Shri Mabhagavatam Ki Gai, Shri Mabhagavatam Ki Gai.